0: All right, let's get on to Matthew, the 7th chapter. Well, I hate to just break in here. Verse 7. Now this is the last, you've got three chapters here, five, six, and seven, and they all make up the Sermon on the Mount. Most of the time, all you hear from the Sermon on the Mount is the first few verses of chapter five, but it carries on all the way over here. Verse seven, Jesus says, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? And of course, this is for his people. Then he says, therefore, all things whatsoever you would, you all would, that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, what that is, is what we generally call the golden rule. We'll look at uh, Luke 6. In verse thirty one it's it's a companion or the harmony of scripture, Luke six thirty one. Verse thirty one he says, And as you would that men would should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. And then real quick, James chapter two. James chapter 2. In verse 8 If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin. And are convinced of the law as transgressors. All right. I want to talk to you about this golden rule. But as we see this, what it requires, there must be something other to be said here. And we find that in chapter 5 of Matthew. Chapter 5. Now, when Jesus (coughs) begins here. Verse 1, seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now a disciple is a follower or a learner of Christ. All of his disciples were not apostles, but all of his apostles must be disciples, So if if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, you are a disciple, but you're not an apostle, neither am I. He had apostles in that first century, and they had a special mission that he sent them on, and after they died out, there were no more. Although some religions claim they've got them, they don't. There are no more apostles, but all of his followers are disciples. But when it says his disciples came unto him, he's talking about his apostles because they were apostles, but they were also disciples. All right. And so his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So this is not directed to the world at large, it's directed to those who are disciples of the Lord. That means that they are are regenerated, born again, children of God, and they have the ability to keep what he says here. If you're not born again, you don't have the new nature in you, you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not able to do all these things. All right, so we need to understand some of these things. Uh, If you're a child of God... You must walk as a child of God. Now, let me say this. I heard the other day that the biggest hindrance to the gospel is disobedient church members. I don't believe that. Now, I believe if I'm a hypocrite, I have a lot of influence, effect on other people. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Neither should you. We do have influence on people. But let me tell you that God is not going to condemn someone because of me. Anybody that's lost and they die and go to hell, they go for their own sins. Not because of mine. So what is the biggest hindrance to the gospel? The biggest hindrance to the gospel is... Is people who have sinned, darkened hearts, and have no ears, nor eyes, nor heart to receive the gospel. They're lost. And unless God does a work of grace in them, they will not receive the gospel. They cannot. He says, no man can come unto me except the Father which sent me, draw him. All right? Now, as we look at this in chapter 7, our text that we read, it is that Therefore all things that whatsoever, ye, is second person plural, you all would, that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That means that this, this sums up the teaching of the law and the prophets. We could get some other scriptures there, but he says the two great commandments are, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, this says, whatsoever we would that men do to us, that's how we should do to them. Now, that is the golden rule. Now, our movies and our television and our, all of the stuff that, that, books and everything, that pretty much control the thinking of our population, it tells us to uh, be good to yourself, think of yourself first, and get revenge, get, get vengeance. So I don't get mad, I just get even. Like, that's the way to do. No, that's not the way for God's people to do. So, think about this. He said, you've not so learned Christ in Ephesians. We haven't learned Christ in that frame of mind. Now, Christ is not what many people think he is, because what he teaches absolutely hits right at the root of where we are. It really does. Just like in our scripture reading this morning. What comes out of the heart of man? What man? All men. Our natural heart. What's in there? Every evil thing that you can think of. And we shouldn't be surprised at what comes out of anybody. It's not right. It's sin. But we ought not to be surprised at it. Now. What is it? That I like. To fulfill this scriptures, We need to ask that. As you would. All things and whatsoever you would. That men should do to you. So do you. Even so to them. So the first thing. Well, what is it. What is it that I like. What pleases me. What helps and encourages me. You need to spend some time. And think about that. If we're going to be able to this, fulfill this, what is it that encourages you? What is it you dislike? What is it that upsets you? What is it that brings out the worst in you? Now, there got to be some things that upset you and brings out the worst in you. Amen? Amen. There are things like that. Well, what discourages you? There are things that discourage you. What are those things? Well, whatever those things are, that other person is probably pretty much like you are. We're not that much different. I don't care what color you are, where you came from, or what language you speak, or what nation, or what. I've been a lot of different places in this world. And I have found out that people are people. I don't care if it's a, the interior, the jungles of Brazil, or the jungles of Europe, or the jungles of America. Wherever you go, you find human beings, and they're pretty much the same. They just speak a different language. I've noticed this. You go to a, a foreign country that they speak a language, and you want, boy, I, I need to hear, know what they're saying. Probably not. Once you find out what they're saying, it's not going to be anything worth hearing. They're like most of us. I mean, you go around and see people having a conversation. Do you really want to know what all those conversations about? Get up there and listen, even though you can understand the English. They're not going to be saying anything profound, nothing that, that's going to help you out. And it's the same way in all these other languages. People are people wherever they are. And so, whatever upsets you, whatever ticks you off, whatever discourages you, that's what's going to do it for everybody else, pretty much. So we must remember this in all of our our dealings with people. With respect to other people, how shall I behave? That's a good question to ask. I know we're adults, but, you know, most of us haven't formed our ideas 100% off the Bible. Matter of fact, when, you, when you're when you just saved, the Bible says you're as a little child. Amen? And that means that we got to relearn everything. And so we're always in the process... Of being educated in the Word of God. All right, look, back up to chapter 5 of Matthew now. How am I to behave with respect to other people? And look what he says first off here in verse 3. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven poor in spirit my well we don't like the word poor cuz that nobody wants to be poor but jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit now that word poor is the same word that you see used as poor all over the new testament that's what it means as poor but in spirit meaning that we don't walk in pride That's what being poor in spirit is. We be poor in spirit before God. Can you stand before God in your pride? Give you just a little illustration here. In the tabernacle and the temple, that we studied lots here lately, the high priest, Aaron, then there were others after him, but the high priest, when he was about the normal things of the tabernacle, he had on his priestly garments. He had on his uh, miter the headdress and had the gold plate on the front of it that said, Holiness to the Lord. He had on his blue ephods. He had on his breastplate of righteousness with the 12 jewels in it, the jewels on his epaulets on his shoulder. He had the on the hem of his garment. He had the golden bells and pomegranates. He is in his finery. I can't imagine how fine that stuff was. I don't want anything like that. I couldn't handle it. But he had that finery and that's what he wore. Except the one day a year, the day of atonement, that he and only he alone had to go into the Holy of Holies where the solid gold mercy seat was on the Ark of the Testimony. And that's where God dwelt between the cherubims. But he couldn't go in there like he normally went. First thing he had to do, he had to atone with the blood of the offering all of the holy vessels of God. And then he had to fire up, it stayed lit, but he had to fire up the altar of incense and get that smoke of that incense and fill up the Holy of Holies. Then he had to go in there and he had to take the blood of the Lord's goat that he had already killed and he had to make atonement not only for himself, but for the whole tribe of Israel. And he had to put that blood on the mercy seat, plus sprinkle everything else. And then he had to get out of there. But you know how he went in there dressed? He had to take off all of his finery. And he went in there with plain, abusos is a word, off white linen. He didn't have from the head, and he had no shoes on. He didn't have anything fine to come before God. That's how we need to come before God. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Some of you, I say, how are you doing? You say, better than I deserve, and I love that answer. If you really mean that, because that's that's really True. We're doing better than we deserve. And coming before God, we need to come with that poor in spirit. And then if we're that way before God, then we're that way before man. Now, I understand that lost men don't understand all this, but we do. And as Brother Brown said in his article, it's amazing how we cross all this. But in that article, Brother Brown talks about we don't go even to a, a brother or sister that's overtaken in fault. We don't even go to a lost person with a haughty attitude, with a high spirit, with a proud attitude. Big me and little you, I'm holier than thou. No, we don't. And that's what he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's, that's one thing that we do, uh, behaving towards the Lord and then verse 5 blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth David said something before he went to battle Goliath you remember David battling Goliath Goliath is a giant and he don't have the the whole Israeli army, petrified. Nobody would stand against him. And here comes David. I don't know how old he was. He was a young man, he wasn't a kid, but he was a young man. David said to all the armies, Is there not a cause? And what is that cause? There's that big giant. He's about to whoop the army of Israel. God's army. And he also said somewhere thereabout, he said, The battle is the Lord's. Amen. Well David went and he had he wouldn't even take Saul's armor. But he had a sling that kind of sling like that. And he had what three rocks, five rocks, one for him and four for the brothers, if you encountered them. And he takes that sling. Of course, the giant was making fun of him. Am I? Am I a flea or a grasshopper? You send something like this after me? Why, I'll get you in, in a heartbeat! And David backed off, and he and he unleashed that smart bomb, guided missile. This just rock, but it was a guided missile because the Lord found the only place that he could get him right there and it hit him and he fell and great was the fall thereof but David did not go in his strength he didn't even go in Saul's strength he wouldn't take the armor he he wouldn't go with the sword the only the only chance David had was to go in the Lord I'll tell you what that's the only chance we've got is to go in the Lord so He did, and he was successful. So he was not going as a great warrior. We have a spiritual battle, but the battle is the Lord's. All right, so meekness, being poor in spirit. And look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We ought always to come down on the side of mercy. Now i told you what I thought about today and the anniversary of the uh, Twin Tires and all that. Would I p- witness the gospel to a Muslim? Absolutely I would. Do I believe one could be saved? Absolutely I do. But I'm talking about that religion and that Koran that not only encourages, it commands their adherents to cut our heads off. About 105 places in the Quran. And I don't like to hear people saying, oh, it's a peaceable religion. Because it's not. But you see, if a Muslim, if he were to turn to the Lord in repentance and faith, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what? If he's in a Muslim country, he can expect to have his head cut off. They're doing it all over right now, these Muslim countries. There are many believers that are being burned alive, heads cut off, and many other atrocities as there has been for a long time. We have freedom of religion for a while. We've got our Constitution and our Bill of Rights, but they are under attack as never before in our country. But we still have them, and that's the reason we have Relative freedom as we have religious liberty. But would we witness to someone? I'll tell you what I've done. It's been a while. I've gone all the way to Eddyville. Anybody ever been to Eddyville? That's a long stretch down to Eddyville. I've gone in that prison, and I've seen murderers down there sit like that just a little screen there in front of us. I go, do I believe God could save that man? I do. I didn't go down there to get him out of prison. And I told him that. And he started telling me how innocent he was. I didn't come down here to retry your case. I said, as far as I'm concerned, the the jury has spoken. You're where you need to be. I came down here to talk to you about the Lord. If you want to talk about the Lord, the Word of God, I'm, I'm here available for you. We're not going to talk about anything else. I'm not going to run some campaign to get you out of prison. I'm not going to do that. I believe guilty ought to suffer the, the uh, consequences. But would I witness to them before they pull the switch? Absolutely, I would. Just like the thief on the cross, both of them started off railing at Jesus. One of them, something happened to one of them. God did a work of grace in him, and finally he turned. He rebuked his the other thief. He said. We deserve. We're, we're here justly. But this man talking about Jesus, he hath done nothing amiss. And he looked at Jesus and he both all of them on the cross. He says, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Amen. Even even Nicodemus couldn't say that. Nicodemus had no idea what the kingdom of the Lord was about and he was a Pharisee a teacher of the Jew master of the Jews of Israel he didn't know what it, what was going on but that thief on the cross did why because he had been born again and that's what Jesus told Nicodemus except a man be born again he cannot see nor enter into the kingdom of God So, he did because the Lord did a work of grace in him. Look at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We're not rabble-rousers. One time in the history of Baptist, and our history, doctrinally, Goes all the way back to John the Baptist and Christ. Amen. It does, and there's no problem to prove. As a matter of fact, I started trying going to do that this morning, but I'll do it some other time. But one time uh, after the Reformation in Germany, some of the German Anabaptists. They were pushed around, murdered, abused. You also had the serfdom and all that. And then with them being believers, families were starved to death. And finally, a bunch of them, they just got their pitchforks and rakes, And they fought back. Of course, they didn't win. You know, you can't take pitchforks and rakes and fight against swords and arrows, and uh, I guess they had some blunderbusses about then. But people still badmouth those Anabaptists for doing that. As far as I know, that was the only time in Baptist history that ever happened. I don't badmouth them, I understand their position. But we're not in a war, physical war with this world. What happens? It's a spiritual world. Yeah. And and the battle is the Lord's but we must use spiritual weapons of warfare. We've done that on these Friday nights many of them. Talking about our weapons of warfare. Putting on the whole armor of God and all of that. So we're not rebel rousers. We're not we're not revolutionaries. Jesus was not a revolutionary. I hear people trying to say that he was and put him in the same category as a boxer rebellion and the, uh, and the revolution in, uh, red in, in uh, Russia. Uh, Jesus was not a revolutionary. Matter of fact, Jesus plainly said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. Amen. He did not teach that we're to be revolutionaries. Now what we what we preach and teach it is considered very upsetting to much of the world even the religious world because we stick with what God says. For example, we only accept baptism That is properly performed, proper subject, proper method, proper design, and proper authority. And do you realize how many of our folks have been persecuted and killed over that doctrine right there? Just recently, we took the Lord's Supper. Well, we believe that the Lord's Supper is to be, we know the Bible teaches it. There's no question that it does. That only the fellowship and members of each church is qualified to take the Lord's Supper. And a lot of people don't like that. They hate that. They take offense at that. Well, it's not our supper, it's the Lord's. We must follow the scriptures. We're not not rejecting anybody. We're just saying what God says and practicing what God tells us to practice. So we also look at verse 13. Ye, that's you all, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Oh, if we're the salt of the earth, we better get busy salting. Amen. And if our, if our salt has no taste, Or salty flavor, it's not even good for fertilizer. You know, depleted salt is good for absolutely nothing. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples who constituted the first church that Jesus built there in Jerusalem. So, we are the salt, we are the preserver, we're not destroyers. We are the light. Look at verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So not only are we the salt, we are the light of the world. Why? We walk in the light. We direct to the light. The light is God and his precious word. It's not darkness. Now, we go on down here to verse uh, 21. Well, no, verse 21st. He says to his, his disciples, For I say unto you that accept your righteousness. Now, that's not the righteousness of Christ. That's our acts or our works of righteousness. They, Except they exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, they were legalists. They thought that they were getting to heaven by their keeping all of the laws of God. They were badly deceived because nobody keeps all the laws of God. Nobody can. The only one that's ever done that is Jesus Christ when he was here on, on the earth. And he kept the man Christ Jesus. He kept all of the law of God. He didn't break any jot or tittle. He kept it all. He fulfilled it all. didn't come to destroy it or to do away with it. But except our righteousness. Now let. Here's what it is. Some people say they're believers, but then they say, well, we've got to keep the law too. Well, you're either a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus, or else you're a Pharisee trying to keep the law. But we've heard many places, James, Galatians, Romans, that... Unless you keep all the law, you're on your way to hell. And that means you've got to keep it all from the time you're born to the time you die. Well, by the time you figure that out, it's too late. You're already a transgressor of the law. And nothing can be done about that this way. The only way anything can be done about that is if you go to the Lord... And He's already fulfilled the law on your behalf and paid for your sin debt on the cross of Calvary. Well, unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, does that mean that we don't have to observe God's law? Not at all. We're not free to break God's law. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. That's number one. You mean it's all right if a child of God worships false gods? Not hardly. And you go on down the list. We're not free to break the law of God. People say, oh, well, we're under grace, we're not under law. What do you mean by that? When you make that statement, you need to supply the meaning of that. Does that mean you're free to break the law? No, we're not free to break the law. Now we have the liberty to keep the law. Amen. Because Christ has already kept it in our behalf and paid the sin debt, was buried and rose again the third day for us. Amen. Now, how can our, must our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? They were looking at, like the rich young ruler, he said all these things I kept my youth up. He just thought he did, but he didn't. Our service to God has to go deeper than just a rote or superficial observance of the law. It has to go all the way to the heart. And that's what he's saying here in verse 21. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Well, actually that's what that is, is murder. Thou shalt do no murder, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Well, I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell Yes, it's a sin against God. It's a sin against another human being to murder them. See, so, well, everybody knows that. No, they don't. There's more murders all the time. You never hear the news or read the paper that there aren't multiple occasions. Of even sometimes multiple murders going on. There's one I saw, three people got shot and killed. They talk about Chicago every week. There are tens to 15 to 20, or more than that, get shot and many of them killed. And it's all over. Murder is more dominant now than it's ever been. People don't know the law. Well we did take them out of school, didn't we? The Ten Commandments. God says thou shalt do no murder. And the and whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. That's capital punishment. Genesis nine six, the first law that Noah that God put into effect after the flood was the law against murder. The man you uh, shed somebody's blood. Wantonly and murder, then your blood must be shed, capital punishment. Well, we don't do that now. We turn our murderers loose. And then they go murder other people. We don't think murder's so bad, but now if you if you steal from a politician, man, he'll put you away for a long time. I mean, it's just it's all turned topsy turvy. Still doesn't make any difference. God's law has not changed. Murder is absolute sin against God, as well as sin against the one whom. You murdered. But that's not where we stop. A child of God does not stop there. No, I have never murdered anybody in my life. But now I'll tell you what. I've been mad a time or two. Now come on. You've been mad a time or two? Maybe you're different from me, but I've been mad a time or two. And if right that moment I did what was on my mind, I might have even hurt somebody. I'm thankful God restrained me that I didn't, but that doesn't take away from the fact of what I had on my mind. And that's exactly what he's talking about here hating somebody and hate is mental murder yes. well so our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees we can't even think of it and that's how he's talking about it well that's uh murder Uh look at uh, verse 1 to 7 he says you've heard that it was said in old by them of old time that's talking about Moses time the law Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, somebody said, "Well, I've never committed adultery." Well, not. that's good if you haven't, because to do it is sin against God. Hadn't changed a bit just because this liberal world has changed everything they do. It hadn't. God hadn't changed a bit. If God said it was sin six thousand years ago, it's still sin. But now look at verse twenty-eight. He says, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now I'm going to say that the vice versa nowadays would be true. A woman looking on a man to lust. Or a woman looking on a woman to lust. Or a man looking on a man to lust. It's all sin against God but a child of God. Even though he must not do the physical thing, he must not do the mental thing either. His righteousness must go beyond that which a Pharisee did. Well, uh, look at verse 39. I'm just skipping through this. 38. You've heard that it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that's what, and there's nothing wrong with that. People think they know what they're talking about, and they quote that as the saying that that was wrong. No, it was not wrong. Back then or now is it not wrong. It was good justice. But he says, now I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee, on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Go to him, Give to him that asketh thee, from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. Now, that's hard to do. That gets tough, doesn't it? All of it's tough. Because it's controlling your heart and your mind. And that's why God says we've been given the, the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind that we can control our thoughts and our actions. Our, but our thoughts control our actions. So look at verse chapter 6 verse 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Now doing alms is giving charitable gifts, money and the like. That's what doing alms is. But he said, don't do it to be seen of men. Now lots of times people won't give unless they're sure they're going to get the commercials out of it. That's their business. But we don't do that here as a church. And we're not to be doing whatever we're doing to be seen of men. What he says, if we do that, he said, we've already got a reward. God won't give a reward for all that. Verse 16, I'm running out of time. Moreover, when you fast, being well, back up here, Lee. He said, verse 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So what we need to do is to be forgiven. Of course, in Luke, he said, seven times 70, if they say repent, you forgive them. We're to have a forgiven spirit, and if we don't, God won't forgive us. Now, what does that mean? It sounds serious to me. That's what it means. Anyway, if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Then verse 16, moreover, when you fast, I don't know if anybody fasts or not, That's going for a specific time without food. Maybe food and water. He said, But be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their rewards, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever fasted. Not I have, a time or two. Go without food. And you don't do it just to be done it. You do it for a reason. I'm trying to discern the will of God. I'm trying to study and trying to get myself in a frame of mind that I can concentrate on the Lord. We don't have any commands to do that. But if you do it. If you let people know you're doing it. You've already defeated your purpose. Right. He said don't walk around. Said, oh I've been on a three day fast and I'm about to die. You don't do that. Anything you're going through for the Lord. Lord. You don't try to make everybody else suffer because you're suffering. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes people are, well, if I'm hurting, you're going to be hurting. If I'm hurting, you're going to know about it. Sometimes it just just honors the Lord for you to keep quiet. Remember, Paul said uh, about, I think it was Epaphras. He was sick unto death. But you know what he was worried about? Not that he was sick and in pain. He was worried that the churches had heard that he was sick unto death and they were worried about him. That's what he's talking about here. So anyway, silent alms, silent prayer we don't pray and let everybody know we're supposed to do some praying in our own closet you're in church we have public prayer I call on you brethren to pray for us listen while I'm there on that when I call on you to pray for the congregation don't say I don't say me don't say my say we say us Our, we beseech thee, Lord, for us. You're praying as a spokesman for our congregation. But now, when you get in private, you pray for yourself. And then, silent suffering no misery making others suffer with your misery. And then, look at 7, verse 3, chapter 7, verse 3. Or, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. he's not saying that we can't determine what's good and bad. That's how that's misused most of the time. We can't judge people's hearts. You're not qualified to do that, neither am I. I don't know what's on another person's heart. So we can't judge them in their heart. He says, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. It's going to come right back on you. And with what measure you meet or give out, it shall be measured to you again. It's going to come back and get you. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine eye? A mote would be a splinter, but a beam would be a beam. I mean, you're judging a, a, a splinter in somebody else's eye and you, you've you got a beam in your eye. In other words, you've got no business judging somebody else. Now can you know what's right and wrong? Of course, by the word of God. But we are not to be judging one another and judging people's motives nor are we to be splinter picking as we just read there. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mold out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the thy brother's eye. And the real truth of the matter is, we concentrate on ourselves, we ain't going to be concentrating on everybody else.